Hello, and welcome to What I'd Say presents Straight No Chaser One Shot. On part three in this four-part series, they're going to discuss two of the songs on their new record and why they chose these important songs in their history. Up first is the song Homeward Bound. I'm going to let the guys introduce themselves first so you know who is talking and let them start the fun. Hey, it's Steve Morgan. Hi, I'm Segi Isho. Homeward Bound is one of the songs that I grew up with. My parents, my uncle, those were some of my big musical influences. I listened to a lot of oldies growing up. They were big Simon and Garfunkel fans. So this is something that's just kind of always been in my own musical conscience. And, and I've always loved the song, always loved their harmonies. When this idea was thrown about, it was a great fit for me. I, I love this tune. And it's funny, you know, going generationally, believe it or not, I had never heard the song. Somehow I'd gone through life being born in the 80s without ever hearing it. And it was just one of those songs, you know, like Steve said, when he presented it to the group, it was kind of a no-brainer. It's like, okay, the sentiment of this song is exactly what we want it to be. It just, it fits so perfectly. And it's just such a great vocal song that we just had to record it. I had another connection point with this song in that I was an exchange student over in Germany back in uh, 1995. You know, it was seven weeks, kind of my first time being away from home for a long extended period of time. And so one day I went out and I took my Deutschmarks and I went to the CD shop and found the greatest hits of Simon and Garfunkel. And I played the album out because again, it was that little taste of home, something that I'd grown up with. And it was something that I, I really held tight to me. Again, when we were looking at something to kind of express the sentiment of missing home, again, it was a natural fit. Millennials are frantically Googling Deutschmarks and CDs right now. I know this is pre-Euro, baby. Going back. A lot of times we like to obviously overthink every decision we make, especially when it comes to what songs we want to put on the album. And a lot of times, you know, the feeling is like, well, if I don't know this song, then nobody must know this song when that's not the case at all. You know, so you kind of have to take a back seat when it's something that's a little bit out of your musical realm and what you know, and just, you know, listen to the song and listen to the words and listen to what the story of the song is. You know, what we wanted to convey was we're on the road a lot. We're away from home. We're away from our families. And a lot of us are new dads. So it's become increasingly more difficult to be on the road. And this song, just the feeling of this song and what the lyrics are saying just spoke so true to our lives that it was it was a perfect fit. And you just, you know, you take your personal musical tastes and all of that stuff out of it, because what we're doing with this album is we're telling our story from start to hopefully not finish, but <laughs> current day. This is so important to tell, you know, our fans understand and, and they're always so grateful to our families. You know, every time we see them after the shows, they're constantly telling us, you know, please thank your wives and your children over and over for us because we know that they're sacrificing so much to have you guys be away from home and how much it means to them. So once we heard the song, like I said, it was a no brainer. And whether you knew the song or didn't know the song, you know, there really wasn't much hesitation once we heard it. As the arranger, one of my big hesitations was just getting approval. I mean, since the 1960s, Paul Simon has been notoriously very, very smart with his catalog. Uh, a lot of those guys who were writing some of the the hits back in the day, they just sold off their catalogs and made pennies on the dollar from what they could have. Paul Simon never did that. He held tight to everything that he wrote. As a result, through the years, he's also held tight to letting other people cover it because he treasures it so much. And, you know, right now he's on his retirement tour, his final tour, the Homeward Bound tour. Again, as the arranger, one who is going to be spending a lot of time and a lot of passion putting it in. I was like, I hope this goes because I love this song. I love how Mike sings it. I think it turned out fantastically and I wanted everybody to hear it. And we were very, very lucky 
to have Paul Simon say, go ahead and put it out there. Yeah, and going through this, first off, I just went through and listened to as many different versions as I could. Paul Simon, he sang this with George Harrison after he broke up with Art Garfunkel on Saturday Night Live. He performed this any number of places. So I tried to just listen to as many different versions as I could, pick out some of the things that I love the best. I mean, certainly you want the rhythm here, you want a different texture here. And so, for instance, when I was going through it, I wanted the beginning of it to sound really ethereal, like hear all the longing. The second verse when he talks about every day is an endless dream, I put in kind of a oompa, oompa, so that it's just this monotonous back and forth in the rhythm. And then again, when you go to the third verse, he's conveying something that's, again, a little more dreamlike. And so I put in an arpeggio to just kind of take you up and down throughout the chord and just carry you through that. And it just floats nicely over Mike's melody, which he embellishes in just a perfect way, in my opinion. Just to touch on like what you were saying with kind of like the dream state, you know, I think what you did with the arrangement, it really gives it kind of a little bit of an ominous sound, you know, the way it opens with the drone, the entire way you constructed the arrangement. When you hear it, it sounds like it's longing, I don't know if that makes sense, but Mike sounds like he's longing for something. And and I feel like the backgrounds and everything else that's happening really complements the lead. And I think that's a great thing that you did with this arrangement, because I feel like it takes it to the next level of not just covering a song, but really putting the meaning into the music. I think maybe early on, Straight No Chaser has this kind of this image, this clean cut good guy image and we truly are that so when we're when we're looking at the lyrics and it's a tour of one night stands that could mean a couple different things right you know musically i think it, he's talking about a one night show in a town and moving on to the next but obviously there is that other meaning so we were a little bit like okay are they gonna read into this a little bit that may have been like kind of the only thing that i can think of Next, we're going to hear the group talk about why they made the choice to cover the contemporary song from Imagine Dragons, Whatever It Takes. Here they are introducing themselves. Hi, I'm Walter Chase. Hey, this is Mike Luganbill from Straight No Chaser. The song, Whatever It Takes, was... You know, an Imagine Dragons song. Imagine Dragons is a band that I've been following since they first came on to mainstream a couple of years back. They did a performance at the Grammys where they did a medley with Kendrick Lamar the year that, that uh, Pimp a Butterfly was out. They just blew me away with their, how they performed live. So I've been following them kind of close and I haven't seen them live yet, but I've missed it. Every time they come to town, we're either out of town or just it just didn't work out. But this particular song, when the new album came out, there were three or four songs that were just bangers and I loved listening to them. And there was a meeting that we had late in the recording process that we were all, we were all backstage having a music meeting with our manager and with our producer, Steve Lunt, talking about in the album cycle, you know, filling in the blanks and talking about particular spots on the album that we definitely wanted to address either in theme or in style, that we lacked some songs from modern songs, songs that we would hear on the radio now. And we were looking for a song potentially to work with a collaborator on. I just happened to pull up during the meeting, the top 100 on Billboard, and just started combing through and looking for songs that were obviously modern because they're on the top 100 of Billboard, also were songs that spoke to the message of our 
album and I saw whatever it takes and I knew that it would work a cappella. I started reading the lyrics and, and seeing the development of how this person is fighting with the idea of all the things that he wants to conquer, but all of the things that he is self-conscious about. But the fact is he's going to do whatever it takes to get it done because he just loves the adrenaline he feels from, I mean, it could be from anything, but he's specifically talking about performing. That really spoke to to us. And eventually we came around to the idea of, well, when we first were linking up with Atlantic, the idea of all of us walking away from something as safe as a nine to five job or, you know, being on the road away from our families and just knowing that we had to do it. We had to do whatever it took to, to, to get out there and perform because we love it. And it's something that we're good at. And it's something that we felt that we should take the chance at. So that's a, probably more of a roundup than you were looking for in this specific question. I guess I would just say that I think initially I would say that I like Imagine Dragons a lot. You know, I like Dan Reynolds a lot. I would say the song initially didn't quite hit me as much as I think that it might have hit Walt. But on the album, I sing the lead on it. I feel like as I got to know the song just a little bit more, I kind of liked it as I like went along because I could kind of feel, you know, I guess a little bit in a way of like what he was going through or what it seems like he was going through like when he was writing it, you know, because it's always hard to do a song like that. It's a heavy song, right? So kind of hard to sing it like he would. It's hard to kind of feel those exact things. And like, I hope we did a good job of like sort of getting that across. But but yeah, I mean, the song's great. And and um, that we got to record it. Like, it's a great arrangement by Walt. And so it's cool. You know, we have a diverse audience Literally, kids from the age of four or five, we t I take my four-year-old to shows. He enjoys it. Very family-friendly. We have grandparents and great-grandparents that bring their kids and their grandkids to shows. And then, of course, obviously, we have every demographic that exists in between. Fortunately for us, we feel comfortable covering just about anything, whether it's Motown, whether it's Beyonce, or it's a rock song like Imagine Dragons. Finding a song that is modern, that is played on the radio nowadays, that is good for a Straight No Chaser show has to meet a lot of different criterias. And one of those is being family friendly. And I think another one of those is just something that is exciting to see live. Like we could put songs on our album and just be happy with them and never perform them. But that was not a goal for this album. We wanted to find songs that we would be excited to sing for our audience and know that our audience would react to. This is a song that is a stadium rock song, but is not something that is so drums and bass, you know, a hundred instruments. This is something that is, it's a simple song, even though it's such a big rocking song. So to find songs like that, that work, that also have the message that was for us the most important thing on every song, trying to find a spot, you know, the lyrics speak to everything that we wanted. I mean, I have this vision in my mind when I hear the song. And if I had more time or if I was more of a videographer or a director of video, or if we had an unlimited budget for our music videos, I see this thing where it's Mike who's singing the solo. He gets the call from Randy at the beginning of the song that, are you in or are you out? And he starts contemplating all the things that are going on. You know, it's this is, this is all moving so fast. I have so many different things. But he remembers how, how tidy he is to 
music and how tied he is to this group and this movement and this opportunity is so exciting. By the chorus right away, he's like, I, I got to do this. I got to do this. But then by the verse, he comes back and he's just like, you know, here's all the things that are wrong with me. You know, like, I wish I was a stronger performer. I wish I, I looked a particular way. I, you know, I wish that I had more security, you know, and then as the chorus starts coming again, he starts to remember, like, it's that back and forth that I think everybody deals with in their mind. And there was no more polarizing time for us than we were when we were faced with the opportunity to be, to go from average Joes, really, to go from just another person in a desk job, which is obviously something we were all excited to do and happy to do because that's what we chose after college. But part of it's because you never expect to have the opportunity to jump to a level of being signed to Atlantic Records. It's seems like such an obvious thing to people that, wow, and they were given this opportunity, but they just jumped at it. And this song really helps show the delicate balance it was, because even though most of us weren't married, we all knew that at some point we were going to be family men. And we, most of us were throwing away our professional careers up to that to take this amazing shot. The hard part about taking a song that is on modern radio is that it's so based on uh, a ton of different voices or a ton of different instruments. And for us, it's important to be able to perform these live. So when I was arranging this, I was very conscious to think about this as a vocal arrangement and to think about this as something that we could perform live and not sound like we're missing out on the full theatrical aspect of what Imagine Dragons creates. One of the creative things that immediately hit me, and Mike joked about it to me, you know, when Mike does his arrangements, a lot of times he ends up singing solos on them because the type of style of song that he arranges seems to cater to his voice, which makes a ton of sense. When I arrange, I'm not one of the lead soloists in the group. So for me, it's always a little bit of a puzzle of figuring out who is going to sound best on this. And Mike and I had joked over the summer that because of the amount of solos that he had gotten from either his arrangements or from old Straight No Chaser stuff, that it had been a really long time since I had found a song for Mike to sing solo on that I did the arrangement for. And when I heard this song and heard the intensity and the vocal range and the versatility that it was going to take to not only get out the words, there's so it's almost like a rap, you know, it's something that has a lot of intensity and it has this sing songingness to it. I thought about a couple of different guys, but it was to me, it was when Mike got into the studio and started singing so, the solo on it within the first moments of him doing it. I, it was like electricity in the studio and it listening to it now, it just, I think he performs it as well, if not better than the original. Oh, well, that's awfully nice. I mean, of you to say, because there's like a million words to that thing. I was like, you know, it's like that thing. It's like, well, you better be careful with wish for, because, because I was like, Hey, well, I was like, man, I was like, you haven't arranged a song for me in a while and then he does and it's a song with a million words i'm like oh man how, how did this happen no it's uh it's always hard to try to recreate or reinterpret a song that clearly is just it seems like a song that's like it's like so so personal you know and it's hard to get into that when you might have not i guess like sort of felt those things and it's almost like in a way you kind of feel like a fraud in a way you know because you're doing you know something that's not yours but i guess that's like the nature of you know kind of what it is that like we do you know i think with the song it was i mean i think it was one of the only songs where i tried to record the whole thing without looking at the lyric sheet like, I mean, I spent probably a week, you know, just kind of learning everything because it's one of those songs where you can't be looking at the sheet, you know, singing. I mean, all of these words, it's like if you're looking at the sheet and you're not just kind of feeling it like it just 
completely kind of just kind of loses its its oomph, you know? You know, I think like when it comes to how we tracked the song and how we were kind of feeling, you know, as it was going on, it was one of those songs where it was like, you're kind of all in or you're not in. It seemed like it just was not really going to work. I mean, unless it was like, okay, you had everything sort of memorized, everything was down all. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a big song and there's a lot of rhythms going on. Like, yeah, it was a tough thing to do. But I feel like it worked out and it's always nice to be able to, you know, sort of tap in just like to that, like sort of mindset, I guess, you know, that, I mean, all of the lyrics like sort of represent. So I arranged it during a break before our our June recording session in Bloomington. When we recorded it, it was, you could just tell in the studio that it was something that everyone was was super excited about. I think in the in the end, people get excited about songs because it finally comes together. There's a lot of, you've got to fly things around, but it was one of those songs that was immediately, you could just feel the energy in the studio, which is really, really exciting when you're producing a song because sometimes it can feel like you're dragging everyone through and saying, trust me, when this comes together, it's, it's going to be tight. Um, but it was when people would come in to record their parts, it was like, whoa. And uh, so once it was recorded, it was sent off to Grammy award-winning, six-time nominated, Emmy-nominated, our mix engineer, Ed Boyer. Ed has worked with, he worked on Glee. He did all the Pitch Perfect stuff. He works with Pentatonix, The Sing-Off, which was a show on NBC for a while, an acapella uh, competition show. Ed is the authority when it comes to acapella and vocal mixing. I'll say in the world right now, I when it comes to this vein, this niche of Ed just owns the corner. I hadn't worked with Ed a, a lot because... I usually hear Ed is doing a lot of modern mixes with the songs that Pentatonix does, especially in the songs that were on the Pitch Perfect albums. But this was a perfect opportunity because this was obviously a modern song. When I sent it to Ed, the way it works is you send him all of the audio that we recorded when we were in Bloomington, and then you wait for him to come back with a mix. Now, the, when the first mix comes back, generally there's a, a, a laundry list of notes that you have. Uh, turn this up, turn this down. Something overall is is not good. I need more of an effect on this. It's something that can go back and forth with 15 or 16 different mixes from the engineer. You know, communications going back and forth over the course of days or weeks sometimes. The first mix that Ed sent me, I happened to be in my car and I put it on my car. And by the end of it, I was yelling out loud, like literally screaming because I was so excited by what he had produced. You know, the demos that we put together, the rough mixes that we start to do, they all start to give it a little bit of like, okay, I could see the potential. And sometimes when the first mix comes back, you realize, okay, that potential might have a little bit of a ceiling. But in this case, and in some cases, you get that first mix back and you realize that you gave the tools to the right carpenter and that person built a throne because it was off the chart. And I can't say enough about Ed's skills. This was, as Steve Lund, our producer said, this was in his wheelhouse, like literally spot one in his wheelhouse. There's so many things along the way. It took the group's conception of doing the song. It took the arrangement. It took Mike's performance. It took the group buying into the song and performing it in the studio. And in this case, it took an engineer harnessing all this, sitting in his own studio, having not been in a recording session with any of us during the entire process, harnessing a mix and sending it back. And it only took four back and forth with him to get exactly what we wanted, which 
is about 25% less mixes than you would usually do on a song. So I can't say enough about Ed Boyer. Obviously, the group, obviously, our engineer in Bloomington, Dave Weber, but this was a production piece, unlike anything I think I've ever been a part of with Straight No Chaser. We've already started performing this song live. And with any song that we perform with Straight No Chaser, it's always a bit of a crapshoot to know if our audience is going to buy into a song that we all feel like is going to work. And that is multiplied by a song that is modern, a song that has not been around a classic, a tried classic, like a Stevie Wonder song or an Elton John song or a Motown song, a song you know that everybody knows that song. This is a song that is a new experience to a lot, I would say the majority of people that come to our crowd, from our crowd to our show. And there are particular songs that it doesn't matter if people know the song. They just love the performance of it. And early reception of it, especially with Mike's performance, and especially with the way that it sounds sonically, our sound guy Yonin has created this to make it sound modern, to make it sound fun, to make it sound exciting. And people have already come to us saying it's one of their new favorite songs. Thanks for listening to What I'd Say presents Straight No Chaser One Shot. To hear the rest of the episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast player or head to AtlanticPodcast.com for more info on our shows. One Shot is out on November 2nd and the reissue of Holiday Spirits is out November 16th. 